Hello and welcome to an Evil X episode on geothermal produced in association with our partner XPro. I'm Ed Reed, an editor here at Energy Voice, and I'm excited to be able to welcome Patrick Hansen, Senior Geothermal Development Manager at XPro, and Nick Sestari, Business Development Manager at Criterion Energy Partners. Is geothermal having a moment is, is, is kind of the big question, I think, that, that is going to really underpin this episode. It feels like more and more discussion is going on for the resource, even though it's still struggling to get the traction that I suspect my guests would like. Marrying skills from the oil and gas world, but playing in the solar and wind world of power, it feels like the perfect transition tool. Is progress coming fast enough, though? There have been some really encouraging political signs. I think the Inflation Reduction Act passed in mid-2022 did include some mentions of geothermal, even though the real focus seemed to be on solar and wind capacity. But where was solar and wind struggle with intermittency, requiring add-on investments into additional capacity and energy storage, geothermal is always on. And I suppose while I'm on the topic of green energy, there's also scope for geothermal power to produce green hydrogen which brings in some really interesting questions around possibilities for co-location. Geothermal does though struggle to find its place uh, with competition from the oil and gas industry. I think with, with hydrocarbon prices so high, at least for now, drillers may need some convincing to pivot from oil and gas to hot rocks. But it's clear that there's traction for new geothermal resources. Uh, a, a recent paper from the uh, Mitchell Foundation in Texas found support for geothermal from both Republicans and, and Democrats, describing it as uniquely bipartisan. And the, and the US has made some really good progress in developing geothermal. I think the, the EIA has uh, put the country as the world leader in terms of volume. So one of, uh, I remember a, a while ago, one of, one of Patrick's colleagues defined the problem for geothermal as being one of high initial cost, upfront risk and, and long development times. She did, though, say it would be essential in playing a part in the move to reducing emissions, teasing the prospect of technological advances such as enhanced geothermal systems. So, given these opportunities and these challenges, what do we need to make geothermal work? Patrick, I'm going to start with you. To what extent do you think the industry is ready to, to deliver on those geothermal hopes? That's a great question, and you did a, a nice setup there. The industry is more than ready. And it has been primed and it has been promoted more than it's ever been in my entire career. Uh, the, the focus, the pivot, the shift, whatever you want to call it, um, the, the day has come where, where geothermal has its seat at the table. Um, I think the amount of inconsistency you're oscillating or I've been in flowing of the oil and gas industry coupled with increased awareness in climate change and the buzzwords of energy transition have all aligned quite nicely for, for the geothermal industry to, to have its moment. It's the only renewable that couples well with the global skill sets of oil and gas, from drilling to geology to logging to cementing and everything in between. And so the, the pivot when oil is, is down is an obvious one to move into a sustainable, renewable source like geothermal. Uh, I think Criterion Energy with, with Nick here is a perfect example of, of that. But I, I truly believe that the geothermal and, and the prospect of it of gaining global awareness and acknowledgement and, and investment is, is here. And I've, I've never seen it as prominently um, recognized as it has been today. Nick, what are, what are your thoughts? Do you think that the industry really is? I think Patrick is, is clearly uh, flying the flag and, uh, and, and, I, and I imagine that you would be keen to too. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I would echo a lot of what Patrick is saying. And obviously he has a, a whole lot more experience in the industry than myself uh, coming in really to the actual industry picture, you know, only two years ago, roughly, and now actually working in it uh, for six months. But yeah, I, I 
do think it's it's ready. Um, I was talking with someone a couple of weeks ago, actually, that was we're talking about the concept of why hasn't it been talked about more or included in more of the estimates that you see for projections and you know so on for the 2050 goals. And their comment was kind of just it's always been here, right? It's always been around. It's always been producing. So no one has sort of been thinking about it as it's ready for prime time or it's ready for the addition of more resources. But in fact, because it's been here for hundreds of years, uh, there's already been incredible innovations and work being done in the geothermal industry that that position it so well for this this transition. And then you mentioned what you know Patrick's talking about, and you couple that with what the oil and gas industry has done in the last 20 years, um, both from a global just supply chain, um, but also from the innovations and learnings that we've gained and efficiencies we've gained there. Um, it just it just seems right. Uh, and I think that the people both in, well, the people in geothermal industry are for sure are ready for this and ready for the challenge. And then you're starting to see a whole lot more, not just interest from the oil and gas side or industry side, but an actual action and, and an advocacy from their end of things saying that this is the real deal. This isn't just some hype. It's not just some, you know, kind of trying to gain a little bit of money and do something. This is the real, you know, deal of an energy source that really can power our world. So yeah, I, I do think we're ready. And of course, there's many of things that need to be accomplished for it to come to fruition. But I do think that the industry is ready for the, the challenge and task ahead. I mean, I think, you know, you, you've both really kind of clearly referenced the oil and gas background, right, that I think is, is, is kind of does play a kind of a crucial role. And I think that's kind of maybe one of the kind of quite interesting parts about energy transition and, and how this kind of the geothermal idea kind of plays into it. I think, you know, sometimes, you know, people talk about sort of, I don't know, solar farms or or, or, or wind and it feels like sort of the skills are maybe sort of less transferable from from sort of traditional sort of oil and gas nick i'm going to stick with you for a moment so i mean what sort of uh skills uh do we see in the oil and gas industry that are that are transferable and, and i suppose also you know what areas do we do we need to you know think a little bit wider and and, and bring say new new ideas new, new new thoughts new blood into the in, into the sector yeah no that's a great question and one that i'm I myself am very passionate about speaking on and, and making sure that it's, you know, the awareness is brought to, you know, both young and upcoming students, but also people who are already in industry and maybe are similar to me or just thinking about how does this play out in the next 30 years for my career. So really from, you know, Patrick alluded to it, but geothermal and oil and gas, you know, obviously there's differences in how they're each actually done when it comes down to it on a project level, but the skill sets, you know, are almost exactly mirroring each other and transferable to where you have engineers both on, you know, you major in mechanical engineering, you can come in and you can be a, what oil and gas would refer to as a production engineer or, you know, drilling engineer. You can work on the top side as a facilities engineer. Um, obviously the top sides are a little different with a power plant and geothermal versus what oil and gas develops. But so there's some learnings that current geothermal companies and industry can teach. And there's also an opportunity there for education in, in schools to be tailored towards geothermal. Um, and then you talk about geology, subsurface. It's what I majored in and spent my life doing. And, and you're only changing a little bit where now we're looking for the water or, or a reservoir of hot, whereas before that was the thing that we steered as far away from as possible. So, you know, really the skill set there is, you know, I coming from a geology background, I mean, you can pick it up and you can run with it. There's obviously some learning based on just the geology of the field you're in, but it's, it's not something where you're going to go back to school. Um, and then really, I'd say the big difference or to your point about bringing in some, it's not new blood. It's been done in a lot of industries, obviously in the electric power markets for a long time, but it's the idea of power marketing and how to structure your, your projects to be 
you know, advantageous from both a, you know, environmental attribute standpoint, but also how are you going to sell it? Is it going to be utility scale only? Or are you going to take advantage of, depending on the ISO you're in here in the U.S., are you going to do it somewhat co-located, use battery storage with it, uh, couple it with solar? So there's a lot of, uh, more on the marketing and commercial side of things, I would say, is where there's some differences from um, oil and gas. But in terms of all the services that are out there, um, you know, in terms of wireline trucks, uh, the guys doing coring jobs, the workover rigs, all that stuff is is transferable immediately to uh, geothermal. So it's uh, really there's a lot of people out there uh, that that can be immediately applied and, and used for this workforce. Yeah, sure, sure. And, and Patrick, I mean, you know, obviously your ex pro is has got that sort of you know kind of broader oil and gas sort of an interest, and and I think you know clearly kind of geothermal is is, is an interesting uh, sort of development for you guys. Do you do you? I mean, you you, you must see that sort of transferable kind of skill uh, idea that, uh, that that Nick's been talking about. Absolutely, um, I think that's why ex pro created the position that I have now um, as senior geothermal development manager for the company is because there are so many transferable solutions within the the Expro product lines that without any modification directly apply and add value to the geothermal industry. It's just creating that awareness and introducing those new customers and the new end users in the market. I've been blown away at the level of expertise and engineering and ingenuity internally, and yet also blown away at, at how many dots I have to connect um, about the geothermal market. And it's exciting because the opportunity is vast. Um, and, and so there, there's an incredible opportunity here, whether it's a geothermal-centric company or it's an oil and gas company that get into geothermal um, the the industry needs everyone to go all in, and uh, the the influx, the attention that I referenced earlier, can be attributed largely to the oil and gas making that pivot and paying attention. And whether it's Chevron or BP or Baker Hughes or or, or any other major company looking to to become more sustainable. Uh, whether it's investing in a project or it's um, investing in a new technology or or what have you, or supporting the Department of Energy's um, exciting projects to develop EGS or AGS, which in my opinion is all focused on making the concept of geothermal anywhere a reality. It's one of the limiting factors as we may or may not get into today is that conventional geothermal as we know it is largely regional. If you think of the Ring of Fire or major tectonic uh, regions in the world, that's primarily where geothermal is. And so if you don't live in or within those regions, geothermal could be just a fancy term you see in a textbook one time in your life and, and it never comes across again. And so there, that's why the concept of solar and wind are so much easier to adopt and understand because you see the sun, you feel the wind blowing all the time anywhere you are. Geothermal is a bit more of a complex subject. AGS and EGS, Enhanced and Advanced Geothermal Systems, will allow us to develop and explore geothermal systems theoretically anywhere there's heat. And that's exciting because that's going to then introduce geothermal to everyone everywhere. And that, and that's, again, um, going to depend on on big spenders and big movers that, that typically fall within the oil and gas industry yeah and and, and i think we'll, we will certainly uh dig into some of those 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 details a bit later i mean just to just to stick with that kind of question around skills for a moment and and i suppose you know just i think one of those interesting ideas is is you know how did you end up here right i mean i think you know you've both clearly got this sort of maybe sort of slightly more sort of oil and gas background but how did you end up here patrick what 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 led you to this point that's a good question i was i think i'm an outlier 
because my background's in sales and marketing, not in engineering or geology or, or any sort of special science or whatnot. Um, but I was born into the industry, I like to say. My, my father spent 45 plus years on geothermal drilling operations projects around the world, spent the past, uh, the last 10 years uh, drilling in Indonesia. So I've had a, a kind of global perspective my whole life. And I grew up in the foothills of the geysers of Northern California, which um, is a pretty amazing area to say the least and didn't realize how good I had it until I moved to Houston. No offense to my fellow Houstonians. Um, so I, to say geothermal is in my blood is an understatement. Um, and I uh, went to school for, for strategic sales and marketing and, and found my first, my first career um, working for a geothermal rig contractor. And then moved to Houston and, and worked for scientific drilling, largely focusing my 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 skill sets on bridging that gap, uh, bringing an oil and gas centric service company into the geothermal world. And then moved to a consulting role and uh, spent a few years for an engineering and project management company focused on all things geothermal before landing at Expro. Uh, again, similar to scientific drilling, uh, helping an incredible company with impressive technologies leverage that expertise and that positioning to enhance geothermal solutions. That's that's where I'm at. That, I mean, that's that's an incredible uh, sort of second generation pedigree you've got there, Patrick. I mean, uh, and and Nate, maybe just 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 quickly from you, what, how did how did you find? It? I mean, you said you've, you've you've been sort of working geothermal for sort of two years. Where where were you before, and and how did you make that change? Yeah, no, it's it's a really good question and, and great topic, and one I'm I always love to share on. And so yeah, very different than Patrick uh, in the sense that you know I. I grew up knowing, I, I knew that I wanted to be a geologist, even as a kid, probably had no idea what that actually meant, but I, I knew I wanted to be one. So I went to school and, you know, majored in geology and then was told that, you know, your options were academia or, you know, going into oil and gas, uh, which I never really even thought about, but you had to have a master's. So I was like, well, that's not my favorite news to hear, but I went and got a master's and ended up in the oil and gas industry, uh, like pretty much most people in Texas uh, with a geology degree. And Came to Houston and started at, at Oxy, um, and I spent the last almost 10 years there working enhanced oil recovery business, uh, mostly CO2 floods, primarily some water floods. And then really two years ago, as I mentioned, I, I just started, Oxy was talking a lot about, you know, all the initiatives for carbon sequestration and using that in our EOR floods. And I just kind of started exploring more, what does it mean to be a geologist or just generally in this space in the next 20 years, you know, my career is young. I'm thinking about this in the long term of what happens if things pivot and I need to change. And so I remembered from school hearing about geothermal, obviously knew it was a thing, but never really took any time to think that it was an industry at all. So then I just started networking with people on LinkedIn and really wanted to just learn. So I would just talk to them about what is it that you do? What does it mean as a career in geothermal? I mean, came to find out it's been around for a long time, as I mentioned, and people have been doing this for very long careers and, and got to travel the world, which I've always wanted to do. And, and that led to me starting a podcast. So here I am recording one. And I started a podcast on geothermal uh, with the goal of bringing awareness uh, and advocating for geothermal as a energy source and as one that needs to get more attention and love. And, and through the podcast, I met my now uh, you know, company criterion. And so I, I made the jump uh, six months ago to to be part of the actual 
uh, making geothermal everywhere happen and making it a reality. So got to got to become part of the industry I started learning about. So well, what a, what what a fantastic testament to the power of podcasts. I think. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I suppose sort of looking at that kind of question around sort of you know oil and gas, and I think you know obviously we sort of talked about sort of that shift, right? That sort of oil and gas, and, the, and I suppose that's sort of you know one end and sort of you know sort of solar and wind on, on maybe in another. How does how does geothermal compete against those, Patrick? I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you as uh, you know this. You, you you've been in this game for. Uh, for, for for more time, how does is is, is it a competition? Is is it can, is there a sort of a mutual sort of uh, support? How does it work? It's a great question. Um, for the longest time prior to this shift that we're living in right now, uh, geothermal did a really good job at preaching to the choir and talking to fellow geothermal enthusiasts and thinking we were doing a great job. And uh, you know, as we quickly found out, solar and wind lapped us multiple times in terms of uh, uniting an industry around the world, in terms of messaging, in terms of lobbying, in terms of policy making incentives, etc. And we we had a problem. Geothermal is baseload. Geothermal is 24-7. Geothermal does not require a backup power source when the sun doesn't shine or the wind doesn't flow. But as I said earlier, it's very regional. It's uh, very cost um, cost intensive upfront. The ROI is a bit extended. However, once successfully online, is good to go, assuming it's properly managed. The challenge is we have a numbers issue. There are 60 to hundreds of thousands of members of solar associations and wind associations. And uh, after serving on multiple geothermal boards in my career, we are talking in the low twos and threes thousands of members of these respective associations that are burdening that challenge of creating that awareness, advocating increasing uh, or influencing for for policymakers, what have you. And so during this energy transition that we're seeing and seeing how the pivot makes sense from oil and gas, which expands our bubble quite dramatically and gives us a bit bigger of a seat at the table, we are now competing. We're now generating a global awareness and we're, we're, cre- we're seeing that adoption and understanding of what geothermal truly means so we can compete. Now, when you look at levelized cost of electricity, which I'm going to cautiously talk about because I'm not an expert in that capacity, geothermal compares quite favorably. Geothermal, according to a study of last year, is roughly around $37.40 per megawatt hour compared to solar is in the range of 33 to 54 US dollars per megawatt hour, and that's considering solar as standalone versus solar as a hybrid. And wind is about $37.80 per megawatt hour. Now, I I stand to be corrected. I I won't be able to fully dive into how those numbers were calculated, but geothermal does compete. It's just a matter of, of, do people care? Do people understand? And how can we make them care? And how can we make them better understand? And I think that's the the problem we face. And the, between Nick's podcast, between Energy Voice, between Think Geo Energy, between the amazing things that that are, are industry colleagues are doing uh, Christina with Baseload Capital and her podcasts and her efforts to be an advocate and the Geothermal Rising and the IGA and, and all the other regional geothermal associations when 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 working together create a beautiful story and uh, if you can't tell I'm very passionate about this subject <laughs> but I, I, long-winded answers we are starting to compete and compete very very uh, favorably. Nick what, what, what are your thoughts I mean I think you know there is that kind of question around kind of competition can geothermal sort of uh, fight its own corner if you will yeah yeah i think um well all of patrick's points are you know similar to what i would say and i'll add you know to that that i think for 
for a lot of it, you know, everybody likes to position all these energy sources against one another. At least when you hear it in the media, you know, a lot of times it's it's solar and wind versus the world or versus fossil fuels or it's fossil fuels versus all these things. But I think, you know, to Patrick's point and to what I'm witnessing and seeing and being part of myself is that this is not a one or the other uh, type of conversation. This is the world is going to need more energy. The demand for energy is only going to increase and you have to we have to find energy somehow and there are a lot of lifestyle choices that we've all made that oil and gas just simply cannot be substituted today for the creation of plastics etc so i think there's a lot of you know taking away the pitting you against each other and more saying hey we we're just another solution and we are another thing that can help solve this great issue of climate change and decarbonization and help efficiencies for industry and for homes and for all these things. And, and as Patrick mentioned, we're starting to, taking that approach has really helped and benefited geothermal. If we're not out trying to use uh, other people's flaws against them to raise ourselves up, we're, we're not out with pitchforks saying that oil and gas has to go away. We're actually saying oil and gas, we need you and your global supply chain, your workforce, your money, frankly, and investment and time. We need you and we need to partner with you. We need you in this fight. Solar and wind, we can work together. There's ways to couple our energy sources to benefit the grid and benefit the world. And so I think it's, you know, as Patrick said, we're starting to see geothermal really, you know, whether it's uh, you want to believe it or not, there's a lot more talk on on whether it's when you're on your LinkedIn feed and the news and the, you know, geothermal is starting to gain some traction, has a long way to go. Um, but you're starting to see a little bit of a, you know, it's not anymore. It's not solar and wind. It's solar, and wind and geothermal. Uh, it's no longer the asterisk on the bottom of the page that says biomass and every other thing that you've ever thought about for energy source. Um, you know, geothermal is actually starting to become its own standalone item as it should be um, as a baseload energy source. So yeah, I, I believe we're we're getting closer to where we can say, hey, we're we're becoming a, as I like to say, a dining table conversation. So hopefully that continues to trend in that direction. Fantastic. I, I think we're going to take a short break, uh, but we'll be back in a, just a moment. So I think I think we've brought up some really interesting questions there around that kind of advocacy side of things, uh, and and I think one of those advocacy ways in which we we you know maybe present something of a way forwards. Uh, Patrick, you, you you brought up by talking about sort of advocacy groups, right? There's sort of you know associations for people to kind of get together and share ideas. But this is always one of those kind of areas where it seems like it may not always be a sort of a straightforward ask, right? I mean, I think obviously companies in some senses are competing. But at the same time, there is this kind of clear need to collaborate in order for the for the for the sort of the industry to grow. How 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 can we try and sort of square that circle? As in regards to competing and collaborating, yeah, it's a great question, and hopefully my answer addresses it in some capacity. But I believe that, and and Nick Nick can can second this. But we're seeing a a trend in the geothermal industry where the the end user or the operator is looking to have a more integrated solution. Uh, in other words, they go out to tender for a project and they want one bidder to do it all. And quite frankly, whether they say it or not, there, there isn't a company that can do everything on a project. When I'm talking about a project from exploration to commissioning. And so collaboration is required whether we like it or not. Competition on paper does exist, but some of the biggest competitors are also customers and clients of each other. Um, Expros no no stranger to that. 
And so when we are looking to provide integrated solutions, innovative ideas, and seamless project management, it requires company A to work with company B. Sometimes those are two big fish in a small pond, and sometimes those are are multiple mom-and-pop service companies working together to provide a a, a unique solution that delivers the technical expertise it requested. Uh, And that is a trend that's not going away. And so collaboration, consortiums, partnerships, potentially mergers and acquisitions, down the road are, are going are to be the norm. And that's that's something that we have to be ready for and open-minded too. Um, and and in, in addition to that, from a more commercial mindset, the same goes for, for advocacy. Is we, have, we have to be able to have a, the, a cordial and productive conversation for the betterment of the industry, um, even if we compete head-to-head 90% of the time. Nick, your you know, criterion is, 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 is working on projects. It, does, does, does what Patrick is saying ring true? I mean, it, can you see a way to both sort of pursue your own ends on one side and sort of, you know, work with people who you maybe kind of compete against in, 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 in other ways? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think that's one of the beautiful things that I would say since joining the geothermal industry as an actual employee of a geothermal company is that you do see, you know, every all the, the startup ecosystem is, of course, we have our trade secrets. We've, we have things we can't share and we want to try to keep as an advantage for ourselves to grow and become a company. But on the other hand, there is a, an absolute, hey, let's rise the tide together how can we help each other how can we partner in certain aspects of creating whether that's new new things of you know how to create systems for geothermal that just don't exist right there's a lot of stuff that's been done for carbon sequestration solar and wind through whether it's their organizations as patrick mentioned or just companies that are large enough that take the lead and and go out and get legislation done or things done, we are kind of burdened with that. Like, hey, we need to go to the Texas State Capitol and meet with these legislators and and talk about what's going on. And this is for the betterment of all of our business. This is not a you versus me. Um, and and speaking from Criterion's perspective, we you know know that we're a small team. We have a lot of experience in house, but also. We can't do it alone, and, and we've created a, an industry advisory group that basically is exactly to the point that you're mentioning and Patrick already mentioned, and, and obviously XPRO is, is one of them, and we're talking about it's just a group of saying, hey, there's experts in the field out there that are doing things that we just simply don't have the the expertise in and aren't going to go out and try to recreate the wheel. So let's all get together. Let's all think through this together as one and figure out how to solve complex problems the same way that we've done in oil and gas for years. So yeah, I think collaboration is is there. Of course, it can always get better. There's more room for it um, outside of the geothermal community, I think, you know, collaborating with more industry um, and really trying to gain that that sphere of influence and collaboration from not just other geothermal firms, but, you know, oil and gas, uh, power marketing, you know, facility people, EPCs, engineering firms, you, you name it. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for that. And, and even for Geothermal Rising to collaborate with other organizations out there in the space or, or things on, on that front for advocacy and, and, you know, furthering geothermals, you know, trenching us and further in the energy conversation. So, yeah, I think uh, it's you're seeing it and we're starting to you know, create a, a more collaborative environment, but obviously you can never have enough collaboration. And, and uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, Nick, you you, you bring in that sort of uh, that that uh, advocacy group that that uh, Criterion's involved in, but and and, and also I believe uh, various uh, companies have invested in Criterion, including Chesapeake Energy. So there there must be something about this sort of geothermal promise that that, that kind of must be attractive in some way to companies that I mean, obviously are sort of you know sort of shale you know shale 
male driven what sort of appeal do they see in, in criterion that allows them to kind of come out of their comfort zone right come away from what they have historically traditionally done and, and move into an area that, that that may seem a bit out there yeah no that's a great question and i and i would say you know, before bringing it to Criterion, specifically Patrick brought it up, but I, we're not unique in the sense of oil and gas interest is out there. You know, Patrick mentioned there's Baker Hughes, Chevron, Halliburton, H&P. There's a lot of, um, you know, interest in investment from, you know, from those companies, which is amazing to see. Um, but unique to our situation and, and kind of how those conversations go or, or the appeal to these companies, I really think it boils down to, you know, they, they're looking at how do we, what does our asset portfolio look like in 10 years and 15 years? You know, obviously oil and gas will be here. We'll still have an asset base producing oil and gas, um, obviously looking to decarbonize the operations. But, but what else can we do that's a real tangible asset that utilizes our skill sets in-house, right? Solar and wind, you've seen some dabble in it, BP and some doing offshore wind shell, but but really that's not core to their skill set or core to their, their, what they're good at. That's just a, a way to invest and, and kind of speed up that decarbonization. So for them, it's, hey, we don't want to necessarily be the first to do it because we do understand it's capital intensive. We don't move as fast as a startup can move. And there's a lot more hurdles we have to deal with internally. So let's partner with a company like Criterion, who's really taking a pragmatic approach to just, you know, almost doing what Patrick mentioned. We're taking technology that exists today off the shelf and we're just trying to say, hey, let's utilize this and let's produce geothermal to prove to the world and to these investors in oil and gas community that it's commercial today. Like, yes, there will be innovations and learnings as we go, but let's let's prove it's commercial today with technology off the shelf and, and skills that you already have. So it, it makes them a lot more interested in, in learning with us, right? They want to learn with us. They're utilizing us an opportunity to join, link arms with us. We have Chesapeake, Patterson, UTI, who's on the, the rig services side, and, and they just want to learn and become a player and a mover and shaker and first mover in this space. And they view it as a great opportunity to support entrepreneurs like ourselves, but also to support the industry and further it using their, their supply chains and, and their skills. Sure, sure, sure. Patrick, you know, we've, we've sort of discussed that kind of technology and, and, and sort of the ways in which things are moving. And it, it feels like obviously there is that sort of, you know, as you said at the beginning, you know, there is that sort of, there's that sort of historic uh, areas in which uh, we, you know, we've seen sort of geothermal developments move ahead, right? I mean, obviously, California, as you've mentioned, the Ring of Fire, Iceland, obviously kind of comes up a lot. But in terms of sort of, you know, next steps, right? What, what, what are you seeing kind of coming up that is going to change things? I mean, I think obviously, there is a sense that the technology is as it as it as it is now works but but where where, where do we go now how do we expand a uh, great question so i think the everyone would universally agree that we're trying to drill deeper faster and cheaper and that concept can allow geothermal anywhere to exist um, where it's uh, more challenging to drill or where the heat is much deeper um, or the technologies that then harness that heat where there isn't a known reservoir like the Ring of Fire or other tectonic regions. Um, so the concept of AGS, Advanced Geothermal Systems, or EGS, Engineered or Enhanced Geothermal Systems, artificially creates those geothermal systems theoretically anywhere. And so if we can innovate with more technologies such as drilling deeper, faster, and cheaper into hotter regions, we can help uh, 10x the industry um, going forward. Those technologies, although are gaining an incredible amount of attention and um, DOE dollars, let's say, are still not scalable yet. There are some incredible startups um, and some some great pilot projects that are that are proving that this can be a reality. Greenfire Energy is an amazing company ever, is, is a doing amazing things. There's companies like Quaze. Uh, there are other companies that are 
are pushing pushing the boundaries of drilling technologies and understanding reservoirs and, and exploiting and exploring further and deeper to make geothermal a worldwide phenomenon rather than just being as regional as it is. And uh, until we get there where conventional geothermal systems and AGS and EGS are, are, you know, on the same level, there's, there's still going to be some slow, slow movement and some growing pains. And we'll see uh, an ebb and flow of, of the total megawatts online, but it's incredibly promising. And I think the future is bright and the path forward is there. We just have to to continue following down that path with the same energy, no pun intended, and investment that we're seeing during this like peak energy transition that we're we're living in right now. Mm, mm, sure, sure. And, and 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 Nick, I mean, obviously, you know, you guys are, are sort of you know working on your own projects. You know, and, and Patrick's been throwing out some uh, some some quite interesting words uh, or acronyms, even EGS, AGS. Do do any of those uh, ring true for you? Is there is there is there something in particular that you guys looking at yeah no i yeah i always love the acronyms we need to come up with it's same same as when i joined oil and gas you have to have a lexicon to be able to to sit in most meetings because there's so many acronyms <laughs> uh, we're just trying to catch up with those guys uh but the uh yeah for you know for criterion as i mentioned you know we're, we're trying to you know a lot of we've we talked about it earlier on in, in the podcast it, it, about the idea that geothermal some of the hurdles are the upfront cost the long lead time and timelines to development and some of that is just because you can't avoid it. It's unavoidable. But some of that is also the degree of technology you're trying to implement, right? And the degree of, of what you're trying to actually accomplish subsurfacely and, and on the top side. And so for us, it's like I said, we're, we're trying to take learnings that our team brings in and from years and years of operating um, in operations in oil and gas and drilling wells and bringing down costs and just apply that to today. So we are we kind of like to say that our first project is kind of the bridge to the EGS world that we're not we're not exactly conventional but we're not quite EGS in the sense that our our reservoir does have fluid we do have you know something there so we're not necessarily having to artificially create uh, a reservoir but we are implementing similar technologies to what you know the EGS the enhanced or engineered geothermal systems will or or can even in the future with dry rock but so we're we're kind of in that middle ground and we're not conventional but you know we're we're trying to look at this as a bridge to the geothermal everywhere so so obviously i think you know all those technologies we we are looking at and and will be implementing um you know and look to uh, along our technology roadmap get to a point of time where we are part of the just pick a spot on the map and we can implement our solution that we've now incrementally innovated on and can just basically plug and play wherever that that heat resource is and and extract it so that's kind of where we sit today and where we hope to get to sure 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 and then i suppose you know i see we're, we're slightly running out of time so i'm just gonna just have one more question but in terms of sort of you know if there was one hurdle that you think we you know that, that the industry needs to get over what would it be nick what's 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 top of your list in terms of sort of problems that you've got your eye on that that that, that you have an idea about you know sort of uh, that's that's coming up yeah uh, it's a that's got to pick one i mean i think really you know we we can talk about a lot of the stuff of you know the subsidies and and the government help which is is needed you know i think that's needed but also we're trying to build businesses that don't re don't rely on on that stuff in the future either right so that's the goal so i think you know one of the big hurdles is really is just learning how to to bring down costs and learning how to really reduce risks in these projects so that you can bring on investment and really learning how to create a ecosystem of joint ventures 
uh, to say, which is a very common thing in the oil and gas world, or partnerships, we go back to our collaboration points. So I think one of the hurdles is really trying to create this system where we're not developing these projects the same way that solar and wind are from a financial standpoint. And really, it's just that buy-in and that investment into the industry that comes from non-governmental investment. So I think really the hurdle is trying to get, you know, whether that's venture capital funding or whether that's really oil and gas dollars funneled into project development, uh, not necessarily top level, you know, equity rounds, but but really getting into project investments and and just reducing risks and being able to to really lower those costs and get those those continue to reduce those LCOE values, as Patrick mentioned, and get us to be competitive. Sure, sure, sure. Patrick, what are your thoughts? If you had to pick uh, pick pick one challenge, one hurdle for the industry, what's uh, what's on your uh, radar? No, that's great. Uh, Nick talked about a lot of them. But I think the one that's near and dear to my heart, and perhaps I'm biased from a from a sales and marketing background, but it is awareness and education. And without that, from from youth, in school to, to policymakers around the world, uh, the, the concept of geothermal anywhere w- will not exist. And so we need to unite. We need to find a, a single message. We need to combine our dollars together and preach and scream at the, the top of the mountains to, to teach all about all the amazing things that, that geothermal um, can deliver from, from power to heat to, to direct use and everything in between worldwide. It's not, I mean, we, we talk about the ring of fire all the time, but almost all of Europe is is looking to geothermal heat to kind of provide a more energy independent uh, infrastructure with the current um, geopolitical climate and, and, and ongoing war. Um, and, and island nations that grossly depend on importing fossil fuels that could be energy independent by exploring their own resources beneath their feet. Um, it's, it's, it's about bringing geothermal to that same table we keep talking about solar and wind where it's it's synonymous with renewable energy and it's not just that other kind of complicated buzzword um, that's included or thrown in as an asterisk in, a, in an annual report so to speak and i think the iga geothermal rising and all the other regional associations are doing amazing jobs um, the recent rebranding from geothermal resources council which was let me choose my words carefully very outdated and academic um, even though it represented a, a huge commercial um, interest for the global geothermal industry, has now become geothermal rising, and they've they've distilled this complicated message of you know what geothermal is by harnessing the heat beneath your feet. And I think that if we can build upon that like elevator pitch, one liner, and then get into if people are interested, teaching them more about what geothermal is, we will be one step further in in accomplishing our goals. And and that's, I guess, my lifelong mission and what I'll do um, both within XPRO and in, in any sort of extracurricular fashion to, to to benefit our industry as a whole. Fantastic. Well, I think that's, I think that's a really good, uh, really good note to end on. So listen, thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Nick. And I think some really interesting points there. I think I think particularly around the way in which uh, technology is moving and, and, and that kind of question around advocacy and, and sort of wider support and recognition, which I think feels so key, doesn't it, to bringing uh, geothermal's promise, right? Because it is a promise. I mean, it is, as, as we've said, you know, baseload uh, clean power that, that, that can potentially be, be delivered anywhere i think is is an extraordinary message and it's just kind of a, a question about how you get that message out and, and and just trying to uh say that to the most number of people so we will uh, we will keep on uh, hammering on that drum but 
Thank you to our listeners uh, for, for for taking the time to, uh, to to tune in today. Please let us know what you think to some of the ideas we've raised here. You can email outloud at energyvoice.com. And if you would like to be part of the conversation and share your story with the energy industry, you can email outloud at energyvoice.com too. You may already know that every week the Energy Voice team get together to highlight important stories from around the world of energy in our regular podcast episodes. So if you're not already, please do follow Energy Voice Out Loud in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to get this free essential briefing every Friday. But for today, for now, I've been Ed Reed. Thank you. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Outloud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Outloud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.